show features Tyler Fornes and Deshaun Vaughn as they talk your Minnesota Vikings with you, the fans. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the maiden voyage of Climbing the Pocket Mondays. I am your co-host, Tyler Fornes, and with me is Deshaun Vaughn. And we are two incredibly passionate uh, content creators for Climbing the Pocket. And one of the fun things about this show is Deshaun and I almost never agree. So we are going to have a lot of fun discussing everything Minnesota Vikings. And we have our producer commanding the ship, uh, Dave, uh, live from Austin, Texas. Deshaun, how are you? I'm great. And I am very, very grateful to be here and to start arguing with you. With fresh for all takes every Monday, just hot stuff straight off the stove. Oh, absolutely. And that's the best part. Everything's going to be passionate. Everything's going to have thought behind it. Everything is going to be constructive chaos. And I am here for it. Dave, how are you down there in Austin? You staying cool? I am staying cool, without a doubt. Um, Hey, everybody. No, it's it's not too bad. It's a little hot. It's a little moist, but it's air conditioner works, so I'm happy with it. Good beer down here, too. I'm looking forward to not only te- testing out all the local breweries, I want to test out all the local distilleries because they have Ooh. some of those here, too. But this is the pilot show of CTP Mondays where we make your Black Monday Turn purple, baby! You guys got it. Let's rock. Well, that's fantastic. We already have Mary, Nikita, and Joseph all the way from Miami in the chat tonight. So uh, thank you, uh, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us. We're going to just jump right in here. And one of the things we were talking about pre-show is the offensive line. The offensive line has been a big point of contention really ever since Steve Hutchinson left the franchise after that 2011 season and he went to Tennessee. It's been very inconsistent. It's been outright bad at times. And it just, it feels like no matter what resources we throw throw at it, it just never seems to stay on track. Uh, Deshaun, uh, regarding the offensive line so far, what have you seen in camp that uh, really gets you excited and gets you hopeful for the upcoming season? So with this training camp, you can't mention the offensive line without mentioning our breakout star, Ali Udo. Uh, it's been, it seems like a long time coming for him as a rookie. I covered him as a rookie. Uh, I thought he was great coming out last year. Kobe year kind of diminished his chances. But he's been the, the light to take us away from Dakota Dozier, from being having to experience that nonsense again. And I think... Just having that, I think this offensive line has a real chance to be much better than what we're expecting. Because now that we have a player, it's been a while since we've had a camp lineman that we feel out feel have a chance to become like a breakout star. I feel like that's been forever. We just haven't had that. And now along with that, we have a lot of players trending upwards. We have Ezra Cleveland who put a put a solid stretch to the end of last season. We have Brian O'Neill, who's been doing great, who now deserves a contract extension. We have Brad Berry, who's kind of 
on the edge, but he's still a player that can be serviceable. And now we're just kind of waiting on Christian Durasaw to kind of piece this whole thing together and finally get this offensive line looking positive. And I, I do think this is the year where we start to see that trend where we get out of this 28th and pass blocking to like where we get to 16, 15, 14. I, I think this is a good year. You know, I'm kind of leaning uh, your way here right now, Deshaun. And one of the interesting things about the offensive line that I don't think it's enough talk is it's less about having great players and more so about having nobody who's a big liability. And that's what we had last year with Dakota Dozier, Garrett Bradbury specifically in passing situations. Ezra Cleveland at times was a liability. So when you talk about your three interior guys uh, at times being major liabilities in pass blocking, that's a major red flag. And moving it forward this year, haven't heard a peep about Ezra Cleveland in camp, which in my opinion is a very good thing. Because if you're not hearing about him, you probably means he's doing a good job and he's not noticeable. Uh, Garrett Bradbury, it's going to be really hard to know how he's going to be pass blocking because they're really not allowed to just drive guys into the ground right now. I'm hoping having two quality people on each side of him will make a big difference so he won't have to overcompensate. And center is the hardest position to learn and translate right away into the National Football League. And Ole Udo, you hit the nail on the head. I think that Week 17 game a couple years ago against the Bears where he stood toe-to-toe with Khalil Mack, kind of flashed what he could be. And I don't think he has that athleticism to really handle the outside consistently. But moving him inside to guard with that big frame, and he's agile enough, I think can really make a big difference for this football team. Um, I wouldn't worry too much about Garrison White-Davis. Zimmer, historically, babies rookies. He doesn't put them in unless they are over-the-top good. Like Trey Waynes didn't see the field because he wasn't ready. Uh, Anthony Barr saw the field right away because he was. Teddy Bridgewater only saw the field because of injury. Laquan Treadwell didn't see the field because he was Laquan Treadwell. The one that really saw <laughs> the one that really saw the field right away was Mike Hughes. Zimmer trusted Mike Hughes right away, and I think his play before he got injured bore that out. So I wouldn't worry too much about Darisaw, especially because he's coming back from that core muscle injury. And Wyatt Davis, it feels like they want to really focus on cross-training him and get him more comfortable with the scheme because it's a little bit different from what he was running at Ohio State. He's going to be asked to do different things. So I'm not super worried about it, and I know other people are, but historically the Vikings baby rookies, Rashad Hill is going to be capable until Christian Darisaw is ready. So – I'm I'm really not concerned. I want to see Udo uh, do it on the field. I want to see what that uh, lineup uh, from Hill all the way to O'Neal looks like live against a, a really, really good Broncos defense. Even if it's a couple series, you can kind of get the sense of what they are, how that cohesion uh, is going to start as far as chemistry building. And I'm just excited to see Vikings football again. Yeah, for sure. Um, in the chat, we had a question about Kyle Henson. I believe that was uh, our sixth or seventh round pick from last year. Um, and I think that's that's an important topic to hit on is it's it's good to have your top five guys. But during the season, you need those guys that can step in and just play maybe a game or two here or there if you need it. So I haven't heard too much about Kyle Henson here or there. I've heard he's made some solid plays. He was ultra athletic coming out. It's just, I feel like the Vikings, as of right now, are really focused on having those top five and then cross-training guys behind them 
so that if somebody were to go down, they can kind of plug and play. So we saw them doing that with Wyatt Davis at backup center. We saw them kind of do it with the trade from, from the, with the guy from Arizona. I believe his name was like Mason Cole. He's yep. also like a guard center uh, combo. Kyle Hinton is a converted, a converted tackle, I believe. So mm-hmm. they have the guys that they can plug places for depth reasons. So I wouldn't expect those guys to do too much this preseason or regular season, they're just kind of there if you need them. And that's important because there's going to be times, especially with this whole cousins plexiglass thing going around, there's going to be times where you might have guys miss a game here or there. You have injuries. So keep Kyle Hinton in mind if that situation comes up, but the guys like Hinton and Cole and, and there's a couple, there's a tackle who's doing really good in camp. I just wouldn't worry about them too much, but if the situation comes along, they're there to help. Absolutely. And I think uh, you kind of touched on it. Uh, Hinton is a converted left tackle trying to become a center. Can't, coming out of Washburn, a D2 school, 6'2 295, hyper athlete. And that's the kind of guy that you really want to try and develop as a late round flyer, especially in this wide zone scheme. But when you transition him inside to garden center, it's going to be a big, big change for him. And especially having to deal with the strength and just the grown man element of the national football league compared to d2 so it you're gonna take the time to develop him and i think they've done a really good job of giving him the opportunity to develop and not having to force him right away i really like the upside of hinton especially like hey let's go with the what if scenario that bradbury flames out and you don't exercise that uh fifth year option maybe a guy like hinton really emerges throughout the season and he gets a big look next year so there are a lot of options, and Hinton may not even be a guy who makes the roster. But at the end of the day, it's really good that they're taking the time to develop that kind of hyper-athlete and seeing what they can do with it in the later rounds. Can it be frustrating that they take a hyper-athlete in rounds one or two and it doesn't pan out? Absolutely. But when you're talking about a dart throw at like pick 247, which is what Hinton was, this, this is the kind of dart throw you want to make because it can be an incredibly high upside play for your football team. Yeah, so if we move on to uh, the controversy this week uh, that Twitter had a ball had a day with Kirk Cousins is Kirk Cousins going to derail our season with his with his box that he's going to put himself into when he's in the QB room? <laughs> oh, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go uh, off on a tangent. I'm going to stand on my soapbox. I think we need to talk about moving Kirk Cousins off of this football team, and. I don't say it because of his talent. I don't say it from what he brings for the football team. He stood up there and was a hypocrite. And that's not the kind of uh, quasi-leader I want in my locker room. That's not who I want leading my offense. Uh, He stood up there and said, hey, I'm going to do whatever it takes to win. I'm going to do anything. And then he straight up basically said without saying it, I'm not going to get the vaccine. Look, just a PR nightmare from that. You can't say that – I'm going to do whatever it takes to win football games and then straight up not go get the vaccine. Like, you can't do that. Yeah, He's making excuses at every turn for everything. Nothing's ever his fault. He just missed all that practice time. If he had the vaccine, guess what? He doesn't miss any practice time. It's, it's incredibly frustrating to see the guy that leads our offense just that, trip over his own words and talk out of both sides of his mouth. I don't want that on my football team that I don't 
want somebody who's going to just not care. And I, I don't necessarily think that it's a vaccine question. If you genuinely don't think it's a good idea, whatever, that's a whole nother conversation. But to come out and say, hey, I don't want to get the vaccine, but I'm also going to do whatever it takes to win. Get out of here, man. Like you can't, you can't have both. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Like, well, I'm a Minnesotan. Like he's, he's trying to be a, a Edina cake eater and he's just not. So it's incredibly frustrating. I don't want him on my football team anymore because of that. Like uh, we're going to see Teddy Bridgewater come to town this weekend. There's going to be an insufferable uh, segment of the Vikings fan base. That's just like trade Kirk for Teddy, trade Kirk for Teddy. And I guarantee you, Mike Zimmer is going to go to George Payton and be like, what will it take? I want Teddy. I will give you Kirk. That conversation will happen. So it's just frustrating that we have a leader of our football team not acting like it. And and rant. Uh, he's just he's just frustrating. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely frustrating. It's, it sucks when you have a team of guys that's like willing to do what it takes. You heard what Patrick Peterson said. He said, I'm too important to the football team to ever have a chance of missing any games. And you feel like mm-hmm. That shouldn't be coming from the cornerback that you just signed in free agency. That's what should be coming from your starting quarterback. And it sucks. I get that. But if we're going to cut Cousins a little bit of slack, I mean, at least he's willing to do almost whatever to not miss a game here or there. I mean, the whole vaccine thing, I feel like to the point it's almost hard. You're not going to at this point in time, you're not going to convince anybody anymore. The, the all the research is out there. The specialists are out there to talk to. I believe someone even asked Cousins as he said he was doing research. They asked him if you talked to the guy that we're providing, and he said no. So at this point, you're just not going to convince the guy. I think it's just to the Vikings to wrap him in bubble wrap when he's not on the field and make sure he's like wearing like six masks all at the same time so he can never get sick at all. But it is frustrating that there's always that chance. Um, you know, different cities have different COVID rates. They have different, different like standards in place. So if say one day we just go, I think we have to travel to uh, play the Panthers this year or somebody down South where it's kind of mm-hmm. ravaging a little bit. And it's just like, there's a, there's a chance and you hate having that chance. Just it's an extra chance on top of things, especially when this roster is very top heavy and if Kirk misses time, it's almost like an automatic loss. So it's like you hate taking that chance. We just have to – I guess we got to trust in Kirk now because, you know, he kind of holds the keys to our playoff hopes. Him and his yeah, plexiglass. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I'm calling it plexiglass gate because this is just ridiculous. <laughs> like if he's willing to do whatever it takes, is he going to uh, rent out an apartment? Is he going to not see his family? What happens if one of his kids goes to daycare and then comes back home with the virus and then he's infected? Like, what about his wife? Are they going to share a bed? Are they going to eat meals together? Are they are they going to do what husbands and wives do? Like, all those things uh, play into the fact that if he contracts it, then all of a sudden he can't play. And, like, I rem- remember reading Raheem Mostert specifically got a separate place from his family and didn't see them at all during the season to make sure he was good. Like, is he willing to make that kind of commitment? If he just comes out and said, look, um, I don't have the vaccine. It's my personal choice. I'm not going to talk about it. 
I don't think it's nearly as big of a deal. Is it frustrating? Absolutely. Is it uh, is it awful that he hasn't talked to the forefront expert in the National Football League who's trying to educate the players and coaches about this? Yeah. Like, uh, all I can think of is that Ralph Wiggum uh, gif where he's just on the internet. I'm a researcher. Like, it's <laughs> like it's how he went about it. It's how he communicated to the press about it. It's how he handled the situation. I, I'm out. And we can have the discussion about if he's a good quarterback, if he's like quarterback eight or quarterback 20 or somewhere in between. And I think you can have uh, crafted narrative based on the actual data and what we see on the field to get him anywhere in that frame. I have him at about quarterback 11. Like I think that's an incredibly fair spot for him. But when it comes to how he conducts himself, how he conducts himself with the media, how he talks about his teammates, how he talks about this situation, I'm out. Get him off my football team. Yeah, he's really carrying that if I die, I die mantra. He's taking it to heart. (laughs) Yeah, and you know what? He's not Dolph Lundgren. He can't do that. (laughs) So away from the downer that is Cousins, this defensive line has been raising some noise since the Saturday camp when we saw DJ Wandham drop and take a pick six. So it's gotten me thinking. So we have our top guys who are going to make it. You know, we have mm-hmm. Hunter, we have Richardson, Pierce, Tomlinson. But after that, even, I mean, Weatherly included, the depth chart gets a little murky. There's not really a hierarchy there. So mm-hmm. after the top four, give me your next six in a row. So let's let's rank the next six after okay. after the top four. So I have Wanda has been doing some good things in camp. I've seen he's been doing from what I've seen and seen on Twitter that he's been doing better than Weatherly. Patrick Jones has also been doing well. So I have Wanda at number f- the fifth ranked, I guess, DN on our team. Okay. So right. he would start. You'd be the starter. Are we just talking D lineman, or, or are you specifically talking D end? Because I just want to make sure I understand where you're coming from. Both. So we're doing both. We're doing. We're okay. putting both in the same group. So like the guys that will be mostly in the rotation. Okay. Yeah. I I think Wanam at five is a solid play. Uh, he flashed last year, but when your defensive line is a bunch of jags, like it's really hard to make a true impact. But he's still flashed and I think that's something like Andre Patterson could really uh, go to bat for him and be like hey we had nothing on the defensive line and Wanham still played well at times going up against uh, occasional double teams and not really having free rushing and that's a good sign that he's performing well in camp and dropbacks Zimmer's gonna have fun this year and it, you can just tell that he's re-energized like DJ Wanham on a dropback covering the flat Let's go. This is fun. It's always it's always nice when you see Zim go out there and do creative stuff with and see him maximize his players to to the best of their abilities. We weren't really able to maximize Wanham because, you know, we didn't have the guys playing. We didn't have Pierce, we didn't have Hunter, and El Denebo wasn't really carrying like we wanted. The unique thing didn't really work out. So I think Wanham could be I was kinda I liked Weatherly. I like I like that Weatherly is long. I like that he's athletic. But Wandam could be that breakout and that we need to really complete this mm-hmm. defensive line. Now, I don't disagree. I think uh, bringing Weatherly in 
is a really good thing because he provides that veteran presence. You know you're gonna you're just gonna get a solid player. He's not gonna overwhelm. He's not gonna do anything explicitly great, but he's not gonna be bad. He's just gonna be a solid hand as a good starter. And then you can bring in your guys like Patrick Jones, DJ Wanham, and you can have some fun with all the length that those two guys have. And then if you want to bring in Janarius Robinson at times, like just imagine uh, Zimmer with a front end on like a third and 10. Hunter, Robinson, Wanham, and Jones just all over the field, all of them standing up and just be like, hey, stop this. Like uh, he's going to do crazy stuff like that. So, um, I would personally have uh, uh, Weatherly at six just because of that reason. I just, he's a solid hand. He's going to get you five to seven sacks. He's not going to be a liability uh, ever, but he's just not going to be great. Kind of reminds me of what Kenny Mixon was in the mid 2000s. Just, just a solid hand, a guy you want to have on your depth chart, but he's not going to be somebody that you're going to want to rely on to be a consistent big time player. I also think it's worth mentioning that since being drafted by the Vikings, if we if we get rid of last year, Weatherly has consistently improved upon his stats every single year. So he's, I believe he started off like playing only a few snaps, so like so like six pressures, and he went up to like twenty. And then a year before he left, he was up to like thirty and like four sacks. So this is a guy that under Patterson was making consistent jumps in his game. So and now obviously with the Panthers it didn't work out. He had an injury, and now he's back to see if he can continue that jump. Now the guy that I am surprised to hear stuff about is Patrick Jones. I myself personally was not very high on Jones coming out. I think in, when mm-hmm. they drafted Robinson, I thought he would kind of take over as that the rookie that was surprised. But apparently, Patrick Jones has been lighting up practice. I saw today that in today's practice, multiple pressures, multiple sacks. He has been in there, and he apparently deserves a chance to maybe even vie for a starting spot. He even got a shout-out from Daniel Hunter. Daniel Hunter went to the podium okay. and said that he's further along than what Hunter was his rookie year. And I believe Hunter came in his rookie year and had like five or six sacks as a rookie. So Jones could make some noise. I, I might have been wrong on that one. When I'm coming out, I didn't didn't think he had it, but apparently, you know, Patterson works magic with these guys. So maybe Jones is a guy to watch. Yeah, um, Ryan's just uh, trying to bury me here. I did say <laughs> Weaver was better, and I'm going to be honest; I'll stand by it. Um, as far as on the field, off the field, it seems like Weaver's kind of a scummy guy. So we won't talk about that. But uh, one of the reasons why I didn't like Jones in my initial evaluation was he just. He just felt like a dude. He he had a bunch of tools and he just didn't know how to use any of them. And then when we drafted him, I was I was a little annoyed. I was a little upset. I'm like, there are better guys available, and I was just uh, listing them off. And then uh, afterwards, kind of settled down. I had a conversation with a friend of the of the network, uh, Luke Braun, locked on uh, Vikings, and he said something that really resonated with me that I utilized in my uh, second watch of him. He has like four different moves that are all at about like 30%. And if you can just develop one of them right away, he can be a really good player. And he's a high floor guy where Janarius Robinson is your high ceiling pick, which is why they were taken where they were. Because the Vikings need high floor immediately. But you can still take Jones and make him a high ceiling guy because he has that length. He has that quickness. And he has athleticism in order to be able to do all the things that we want from our defensive ends. Utilize power 
uh, dip and rip, go out, uh, just speed rush on the outside. So if he's this far along right now and Patterson keeps working with him to develop those pass rush moves, I will, I will eat crow on it. Like uh, Jones could end up being a really solid pick. And uh, that was something that I wasn't willing to say, you know, mid April, if you would have told me he was going to be the 90th selection by the Vikings. So uh, kudos to uh, Patterson for at least at this point, uh, we, it feels like Jones is going to be a hit, but they still have to play the game and it's, it is different than practice. So we'll see how it goes. Um, you know, just with all that information, I'd probably put Jones at, at that seven spot. Um, Armand Watts is probably going to be right behind him at eight. It's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of guys in that kind of like five to 10 spot that are just, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they separate themselves out in preseason and then early on in the regular season. Cause it's, it's going to take somebody really emerging from the pack in order to really separate themselves. Cause otherwise they're all just kind of together in a, in just a, a blob. Yeah, that definitely. And I think, I think it's great because none of them are going to be in a situation where it's going to be terribly difficult for them to separate themselves. They're not asking them to be star players. They're not even asking them to be the number two rusher. We have Sheldon Richardson. We have Dalvin Thompson, who's been doing solid in pass rush. Well, like, of course, it gets our, our interior, but he's been doing okay in pass rush. So we're asking them to just come in and be that that third in pressures or fourth in pressure guy. So I think we'll get two. We'll probably get two guys that are that'll rise above. I am the guy I'm worried about is Lynch. I was man, I love I love Lynch coming out of college, and he's like being buried on this depth chart. Man, he is just Watts is taking over him. It's just is there's no hope for my guy anymore. I'm starting to wonder if he even makes the team. And then we got Mata Offer too. I liked Mata Offer too, but this guy's being buried also. But even with those two, if they do, if they don't make the team, I love the potential of this group. They have a bunch of athletes in there. I mean, seeing DJ Wanham go out there, get the pick, and finish it was just like, if we see that during a regular season, like, I'm going to (laughs) explode. Like, that's crazy that they, and then Patterson said in his, in his presser that you, you have to be. <laughs> oh, geez, you have Ryan. to be an athlete to play for this defense, and that's what they got. And I'm excited to see who is going to come out. I'm still leaning Janarius Robinson because that was my guy coming out. I was pounding the table for him. He's big, long, athletic, super strong. I still think he has to work on that bend, but he can stand up too. But like Mary is saying, I think this defense, if one of these guys can break out, and they don't have to be super, like, super good. Like, 40, 50 pressures. I think this defense has a chance to be really good. I agree. And honestly, like, when you kind of look back at last year, the, the defense was still a lead on third down. They were able to get teams off the field once they got them to third down. The problem was first and second. If they can fix first and second down, third down should be just fine. Uh, Zimmer doesn't have to go to 7-11 for corners. He's got four good ones. Uh, losing Gladney, the football player, really does hurt a little bit because that, like, that would have given you five really good corners that you would have felt comfortable starting. Like, that's huge in a league where you're running a lot of eleven and ten personnel and really spreading the field. Like, and who knows? Maybe Pat Peterson in some packages goes and plays safety. 
Like you can have some fun there, but oh, excuse me. And I think if they can just get to third down, it'll make a big difference. Uh, Janarius Robinson, I know he was your guy. I don't. I just want people to have their expectations tempered because I just he's a project. Florida State can't develop. They can't develop anybody. Their coaching staff and their coaching situation since Jimbo Fitcher left has been atrocious. They can still recruit. They're still Florida State. Uh, Bobby Bowden passed away, uh, I think it was yesterday, uh, one of the all-time greats as far as uh, recruiting, coaching, and with sound bites. Like at Some of the, the quotes that Bowden would have were just legendary. Not quite Steve Spurrier level great, but great nonetheless. And but I, he's got all the tools, man. Give him time, uh, but he's a project. You don't want him to see a lot of the field right away. Let him that develop one really deadly move and then go out there and prove it. We don't have to rush him either because we have guys in front of him who are have already shown in practice that they're ready to, excuse me, ready to go. And like, what's really frustrating, like kind of about this group is like uh, Blake Lynch was your guy. Like my guy last year was Kenny Willikis. Like Willikis, just just a yeah, he's a high effort guy, but he unlike James Lynch, I really saw an athletic profile there that would be able to translate into the NFL. And with Lynch, I just didn't see it. He was just all effort. And if you didn't get, if you don't win with effort, Lynch wasn't really going to wow you with strength. He wasn't going to wow you with athleticism. And that was one of the tough parts for me about the Lynch selection. So like, if you got a guy like Willikis, who's probably not going to make the team, like if he shows up at all in camp, like, that's a great luxury to have because maybe you can stash him on the practice squad. I really hope that he gets a run in the first couple preseason games because he got hurt last year and he just got stashed on IR. And I thought he was a great pickup in round seven. I want to see what he brings to the table. Yeah, this uh, the preseason games, That's it's going to be – there's a lot of depth on this team now. And it's going to be hard to see how they kind of – divvy up the playing time, uh, especially in this next game against the Broncos with the wide receivers. I really, really, really want to see the second group of wide receivers against the starting defensive backs of the Broncos. Like I'm, I know Thielen could get open against Fuller or whoever they have, but I want to see KJ Osborne do what he's been doing in practice. I want to see ISN do something out there. I'm really, really good. I'm really, really looking forward to seeing how good these guys are against these real defensive backs that are really going to be playing every down during the regular season. No, I agree 100%. Uh, it's really frustrating that we won't get to see D.D. Westbrook kind of do that too because he's still kind of nursing his way back from a torn ACL. But ISM has been really showing out in the receiver drills. But one thing to be aware of is oh, what Mike Zimmer said today, uh, ISM's been wanting those receiver drills, but – he stinks on special teams, and he's going to need to figure that out for his role in the football team. If he, I want to see him as a gunner. I want to see him covering kicks. I want to see what he's able to do in those situations because that could be the key to him making the squad because as a fourth, fifth, sixth wide receiver, you have to be able to do those things. It's one of the reasons why Chad Beebe might not make this football team because if you have multiple punt returner options, Beebe's not going to be a gunner. He's too small. So uh, that'll be something to watch as well, you know, Maybe BB is your wide receiver one going into this first preseason game. God forbid, <laughs> let's not have it come to that. 
I, oh, I, man, DB season starting. Oh. <laughs> DB season coming early. <laughs> Find someone who loves you like the Vikings love Chad Beebe. Like, uh, his dad, Don, is one of my favorite football players of all time because he was just a scrapper. Uh, it reminded me of former Viking Chris Walsh, but he had he had a much higher upside. And he was like that third receiver for those Bills teams in the early 90s. He was a good football player. Brian, he could get cut. But I we need to have that conversation because – if he's not wide receiver four on this football team, if he's wide receiver five, he's gone because he offers you zero value on special teams other than being a punt returner. And we have those. We have Didi. We have ISM. We have Nwangu that who can also be a punt return guy. Like at maybe KJ Osborne gets another shot at it. Like there are too many options, and I don't think BB offers you enough upside at that position to really. That warrant keeping him when he offers you no other special teams ability. We also have Dan Chisnia, who uh, learned how to play wide receiver all of a sudden, who is now a threat to take BB's <sighs> roster spot. I just want to put that out there. He's, uh, uh, he's super fast. He knows how to catch a football now. <laughs> Dan, I think Dan we got to watch out for this guy. Dan, uh, uh, there's a lot of whiskey talk going on in the chat, and uh, I'm seeing some Elijah, Elijah Craig. I'm seeing some Four Roses. You know what Dan Chisina is? Dan Chisina is Old Tub, and if you've never had Old Tub, it's a $25 bottle unfiltered from Jim Beam. It's uh, You can usually find it on the bottom shelf, but it tastes much, much better than that, and it's, he's just, it's just kind of a surprise when you have it, and all of a sudden, hey, Dan Chisina is somehow good. You know, that's, that's kind of what Old Tub is when you drink it. So I, I'm really interested to see what he can do as a receiver because, like, as you said, we've been hearing the same things. Apparently, he's figured it out. And with that speed and his ability as a punk gunner, which, let's be honest, wasn't very good last year, he's going to need to add something else to his repertoire in order to make this roster. He was getting down the field. I think he just needs to learn how to tackle. I mean, if you could pick up how to catch a ball, he can learn how to tackle. He was getting down the field kind of fast, though. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But remember, they tried moving him to safety for, what, two or three days last year? And then it's like, eh, that's not going to work. So that's a red flag right there. Like, if you're moving him to safety and realize, oh, he can't tackle. Well, he's a punk gunner. Is he all of a sudden going to tackle now? Like, that's, that, that's they were, they were just They were trying so hard to find a way to keep him around and just move it back to wide receiver. It was like, you can just stay here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that's why Marvin Maloof is no longer – uh, the Vikings special teams coach. But uh, we should move on. We've spent a lot of time talking about the defensive line and all of the good things that could come from it. Um, I think one thing we should talk about is the Justin Jefferson injury because the Justin Jefferson injury was uh, kind of a scary moment. It had us kind of panicking for about an hour, hour and a half before it was diagnosed as a very, uh, very minor thing. Uh, as long as he heals up and is 100% before he gets back in the field, I have zero concerns with it. But it brings up the question. With that injury just happening in a random practice rep where he's just he, – two guys just fighting for the football, what do you do with these guys in the preseason? Do you play Justin Jefferson at all? He's a budgeting megastar. Uh, do you play Adam Thielen at the same time? Like, like what about Irv Smith and Dalvin Cook? How important are these practice reps versus the risk associated with them? Uh, who who plays? Who doesn't? How long do they play? Like we saw that the Vikings kind of came out a little flat last year, but half the NFL came out flat last year with no preseason time. Like 
I, I'm really intrigued to hear your opinion on this because if I were Mike Zimmer, I'm not playing Justin Jefferson. I'm not worrying twice about it. Uh, I, yeah, I wouldn't play JJ after that. JJ got off. He got so, so lucky. Cause that just, this, just this whole part of the body, it's all connected. It all just kind of breaks the same way. He got extremely lucky. I'm putting him on ice for the rest of the preseason. I'm going super light in practice. JJ is in a spot and it's amazing that he's here, that he doesn't really need practice reps anymore. Like we got super lucky with this guy. He's like way ahead of his years of where he should be as a wide receiver. So it's like, you keep his practice reps very minimum. You just make sure he stays in shape for game day. I wouldn't play him in any any preseason games. Just make sure the practice reps are there, there and enough that he's in shape. Dalvin Cook, I'm putting this man on ice too. Just because of his injury history, I'm not taking any chances. Like He gets like two carries in a preseason game and then make sure he runs out of bounds or takes a slide or something. No chances. Everybody else, you know, it's just unfortunately with this kind of game, you can't really worry about injuries. These guys are out there to try. A lot of these guys are out there to make the team. But Irv mm-hmm. Smith, he had that hip thing last year, but he looks okay. But I do want to see Irv Smith really take that next step as a receiver. I want to see him really work that 15 to 20-yard thing. Yeah. So I would I, I would want, I want to play Tyler Conklin. Um, definitely want to play Madison, def- and then I definitely want to. I want to play Thielen a little bit just to make sure that he Thielen's getting up there in age. He's ta- he's already taking his veteran rest days, so I'm putting a few in there like for him because he's getting up there in age. But you still want to just make sure he's able to run. He's still able to be that wide receiver too, or you know play a wide receiver one if you need him to. So I would keep it to a minimum, but I would let him play. But it's definitely they definitely have to manage some of the top guys, and then the preseason really should just be about letting the, the back end play, see who you can have for depth and hoping you get to the record season when everybody's kneecaps intact. Well, as long as we don't uh, meet the lions in the preseason, we should be okay with the <laughs> kneecaps. Now here's the big question. Cause I'm with you on JJ and kind of letting everybody else go. I think is a good thing too, but Daniel Hunter, that do you play Daniel Hunter? Obviously he's fully cleared. He's doing everything in training camp. Do you let him get a couple of uh, licks early on on a couple pass rushdowns just to give him the opportunity to get hit again? Uh, or do you just wait for the regular season? Because I think with the neck injury, some of that can be mental because what happens if, if he gets one hand right up here and his neck cranks back? Like, is he going to be worried about that? Is he going to be extra tentative? Like, practice is just a different animal than the game. So how would you approach that? I, th- I think you have to let Hunter go, and I don't think, and I don't think Hunter will probably fight the coaches on not playing. I think you left, you have to let him go. You have to get him back into that that moment because practice, like you said, practice reps and game reps are just they're totally different. You're going at a different speed in practice. You're never really going a hundred percent, but in the game, you're like you're full on. You're you're using everything you used in practice, and I think Daniel Hunter needs a few of those reps. I'd put him on account. But you need to see if he can still bend the same way. I mean, he's been doing it in practice, but you need to see if he can bend the same way. If he can use all his same moves, he can still run for four down, three downs, or if someone's driving downfield, if he can be in for nine, ten plays in a row. So I'm letting Daniel Hunter do what he thinks is best to a limit, of course. But he's a freak athlete. It was also kind of a freak injury, not something that. Yeah. And, 
not something that I think will happen again, but with him, he take he takes care perfect care of himself. He's like his arms are made of cinder blocks. So I uh, I would let him go and do his thing. And I, I kind of have trust in Daniel Hunter because that was kind of his first time being in- injured. And yeah. I think you let him do his thing. You let him get comfortable again because he's he's your lead on a defensive line, and you need to make sure that he is ready to go when it comes regular season. No, uh, I'm with you 100%. Let him get a couple licks. Let him get comfortable. Um, Jim uh, in the chat just threw in there, throw Hunter in on third downs only, let him go all out. I think that's – I kind of alluded to that earlier. Just let him get a couple pass rush in. Just, just let him go. And I think we're in agreement there. Just let him get a little comfortable. Let him get hit. And I, I think we'll – We'll see the the real Hunter come back, and I think that's what's really important for this football team and Hunter the person because a neck injury is a scary deal, man. Like I'm a professional wrestling fan, and like one in every two or three wrestlers has neck fusion surgery. Like it's it's a scary thing to have to have something go wrong with your neck. Um, Mary, we appreciate the love. We're we're gonna have a lot of great stuff all year, and then all throughout next off season too. We are excited to continue this rolling. And as far as rolling along with the show, uh, I think the last thing we were going to talk about is things that we want to see and are going to look for this Saturday afternoon when it comes to the Vikings-Broncos preseason game. And I'll kick it to you in a second, but I want to see one thing. I want to see Teddy Bridgewater come back a second time, and I want to see the fans give him a nice round of applause. Like, I love Teddy. Teddy's my guy. I I I still think if Teddy doesn't get hurt, the Vikings win a Super Bowl, and that that'll always hurt. But it's just good to see Teddy continue to get chances to play the quarterback position as a as a potential starter. And I think that's it, it's just it's going to be cool to see him in the bank again. Yeah, for sure. I think Teddy Bridgewater is just like one of those genuine human beings that you just love to see get his chances. Um, I don't think Kellen Munn is playing Saturday. I still think, I think as of Saturday, he'll still have a few days of, of orientate of uh, quarantine because he actually tested positive. I think you get a full two weeks for that. If, and then you still have to like, not have so, symptoms. Yeah. so he, I don't think he'll be playing. Um, I'm looking for Clint Kubiak. I want to see him utilize his weapons against a good defense. And I also, and also a good coached defense. I think uh, defensively during depth, when you're getting to the preseason, your depth really is a reflection of your coaching. When you start to get guys that aren't, you know, first, second stringers and they still play well, it means you have a coach that's coaching them well. So I want to see how they, how he works against, you know, a good defensive mind. And I also want to see Jake Browning play mm-hmm. well. I want him. I want to see him play okay. Because ever since Kellen Mond was kind of drafted in the third round, the whole Mond Pond thing started happening. He was kind of just penciled in as the heir apparent to Kirk Cousins. He gets COVID. Jake Browning lights up Saturday practice after starting off kind of rough. I want to see if he can carry that momentum into a game against a well-coached defensive team. Or is he going to melt down and show us that, yeah, we should be looking to develop Kellen Mond, or is there a QB competition there? That's my two biggest thing. I want to see how those two guys handle playing against a tough opponent. I like both of those. Um, I think uh, a couple of the big things that I want to see, I want to see how the secondary 
starts to gel uh, together and see how cohesive that unit is. I want to see Cameron Dantzler and where he is at because I think we need to have a real conversation about him being cornerback four going into the year with uh, uh, guys like Breland. Uh, Breland Oof. and uh, Peterson ahead of him. And I don't think that's a um, that's a necessarily a negative for Cam Dantzler. I think if you want to say that Breland's a better corner than him right now, I don't think that's unfair. I don't think that's a slight against Dantzler. Breland is a solid guy. There's a reason why he was uh, with the Chiefs for the last couple of years, and he, he played relatively well. So, And you're not going to put him as CB3 because that's going to be Mac Alexander because Dantzler's not going to play inside in the slot, and you're not going to want to really put Breland or Peterson in there either. So he's kind of the quasi-corner four. And I think Zimmer will rotate him in, and he'll still get plenty of snaps. Like you're probably going to see about a forty percent uh, share of snaps for Dancer if he ends up being CB four. So we're still going to see him plenty, but I want to see how he's grown. Uh, obviously, he's tried putting on weight. He's put on about ten pounds, which it, it doesn't necessarily seem like a lot when you look at him because he is the needle after all. But going from <laughs> one eighty to one ninety is a big difference and will allow him to be, uh, handle physicality better in press coverage. And then I think the last thing is. When we hit it off uh, at the very beginning of the show, I want to see Ole Udo. He's never played guard before. He They transitioned him at the beginning of camp, which to me signals panic move. It tells me that they did not believe Wyatt Davis was anywhere close to ready. They, they obviously don't trust Samia and Dozier, which let's be honest, they shouldn't. And I think Dozier's only getting first team reps right now because he's the entrenched guy. He is a, a stalwart veteran a good or not. And I think they're trying to ease in other people and not that do like a major shock to the system. I think Ole Udo, uh, his limitations will be minimalized on the inside because he will, won't have to maximize that foot quickness because he's on the interior. He's going to be able to maul guys and he has the athleticism to move in space well enough for the scheme. So those are the big things I'm looking at. I'm really excited to see Jake Browning too. He was really good in stretches at Washington, four-year starter, but he has limitations. So we'll see how he can kind of counteract that. Uh, and it, it's – Deshaun, we're a few days away from Vikings football. It, it felt like we were never going to get here, and here we are. And I'm excited to tape the game and watch it on Sunday because I'll be at a wedding Saturday night. <laughs> uh, I am going to be – here, hundred percent in my you know my man cave with whatever food I decide, and I'm gonna watch the whole game. Then I'm gonna watch it again after it's over. Uh, I just can't wait to see these guys. Um, I disagree with you on that Cam Dantzler as uh, CB4. You know, I think I think you got to put Cam out there as CB2 at the least. You got to get that man out there. He played well at the end of the oh. year. Now hold on, he got I'm his head knocked saying... off. I'm not saying that it's a certainty. I'm saying we need to have that conversation that it could very well happen. And having him behind Breland and Peterson might be better for his development. It might make more sense for a win now approach as far as like the first few weeks and just rotate those guys in and out. It also could be key for uh, Patrick Peterson. Maybe instead of him playing like 80, 90% of snaps, you get him to 60 or 70 and he stays fresher throughout the year. Uh, he already uh, it seems like he fell off a cliff last year with the Cardinals. Maybe that can help bring him back that to a little bit closer of what he used to be. Uh, I don't want to have him as CB4, but when you just kind of look at everything, it feels like that's where it's trending. Yeah, I do think those three guys 
will all play very similar amount of snaps. I can all see them being within maybe a hundred snaps of each other when it's okay. all said and done. Um, I do. I, I'm looking forward to Udo, man. Last time he was in a preseason, he absolutely killed it. He was great. But that was that right tackle. So now that interior, and I think a lot of viewers don't understand how hard it is to make that transition. We kind of just feel like, I feel like sometimes just watching it from home, you're just like, Oh, you're just moving inside. But you know, it's, and he's never done it before, like you said. So that's a, that's a big transition from it. And it's definitely different than in practice and then going out there and actually running plays and gets guys that you don't see every day. So what he does will be extremely important, but also think we have to just be kind of ready for him to have his like mess ups, his blips, you know? So we'll see. I think that's I think I think everybody will have their eyes on Udo. He's kind of like the the talk of the town now because everybody hates the offensive line. So <laughs> now he's under a spotlight. No, I, I agree 100 percent. And I think to kind of uh, piggyback off what you said about the transition going inside, you're facing a completely different type of pass rusher. Like it just to, to go with the absolute like top end examples facing a Khalil Mack or Von Miller is way different than facing an Aaron Donald and how you're going to have to combat them, how you're going to have to win, how they're going to attack you. Like you, you got to do a lot of short area stuff and they can really get underneath your pads, push you up and, and then drive you back a lot easier. And uh, Khalil Mack does speed to power. That's his game. Like he's going to run at you, but you have time to prepare for that. And the inside with an Aaron Donald, you don't have time to prepare for that. They're going to be right in your face right away. So it'll be interesting to see how he counteracts that and how he continues to grow and learn on the fly. Dave, we're going to be wrapping this up here real quick, but I want you to jump in here. I want to hear your opinions and your thoughts on what you are expecting and what you want to see here for this first preseason game. That is a good question. I posed yesterday on two old bloggers. As I cover my face up with my own tweet, <laughs> own message, um, on two old bloggers, it's going to be interesting to see what the format of this game is. Because we've gone from four games to three. I've been drinking. Give me a break. Um, <laughs> four games to three. Are we going to play the starters one series? Are we going to play them two series? Are we going to play them a whole quarter? You know? Is it game one or is it game two as it has been in previous years? Um, We don't know. Are they going to rest? Is Zimmer going to rest those star starters, right? Are we going to see Daniil Hunter rested a lot? Are we going to see Thielen and Jefferson? Yes, sit them down. Let the other guys play. I'm not worried about them, right? Who are we going to see play? Is Dalvin Cook going to get, you know, just a handful of carries, and he calls it a day. Then Madison going to come in. Are we going to see Kene uh, Wangu come in and make his debut, you know, running all over the place? Will he return a kickoff? I hope to see that. Um, It should be interesting. But what's great about it is the fact that it's in U.S. Bank, and there are stands, our fans in the stands. (laughs) And that I cannot beat that for nothing. Well, uh, you can beat it because you're still drinking to forget about Drew Pearson. So, well, uh, <laughs> uh, I was old enough. I watched that game. He pushed off that son of a bitch. Oh, of course he did. And what's frustrating is that was probably the best of that purple people eaters run too. It oh, it was. The best and and I hated, absolutely despised. 
the Cowboys. That's where my there's two teams I dislike greatly. I shouldn't say hate anymore. I don't need hate in my heart. But there's two teams I despise greatly. One is obviously the Green Bay Packers, especially in their last two thirty years with two Pro Bowl or two Hall of Fame quarterbacks, or one future, one that will be, and the Dallas Cowboys. It just irked me to no end. That team, they go in so cold and so cool. They were the first ones to use uh, scouting and metrics to look at what tendencies were. They invented that, right? And they would come in so cold and so unemotional, and that drove me nuts. Whereas we had Bud Grant, who was unemotional, but I love Bud Grant. That's It's weird. Anyways, that's... For this weekend, Saturday the game, we will debut afterwards our post-game show, a new post-game show, and we will go from there here on Climbing the Pocket Network. Tomorrow night, we have In the Huddle with some of your favorite CTP personalities. We don't know who yet. I don't know who yet, but it'll be fun. So join us. Normal time, 8 o'clock Central. Every night this week. Well, fantastic. You know, Dave, I feel like the Cowboys are to you what the Saints are to my generation. Yes, very much so. Very much so. Yeah, I don't like the Saints either, but no, the Cowboys earned that initial spot. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, uh, gentlemen, this this was a fantastic first show. It was. It was a great first show. I'm glad, Dave, that you yelled at Spectrum and the internet was uh, 100% ready to rock and roll, which is always a good thing. Um, Spectrum has my internet running relatively decent, which is fantastic. Uh, And we are ready to continue to kick ass throughout the rest of the season. Any final words, gentlemen? Hey, Skull, man. Saturday's coming quick. I can't wait to see it. Hey, we're working on growing our community because... That's what matters. You guys watching and listening every day. And until then, we'll see you tomorrow night. Skull Vikings! Thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, and ring the bell. And if you're listening on your favorite aggregator, make sure you rate us. And always feel free to join the conversation. Here at Climbing the Pocket.